It's the second homestand of the season, and Walters is ready to be your pre- and post-game spot. On Sunday, Bottomless Brunch begins at 11 a.m. Enjoy Bottomless Mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for only $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree, be it beer, burgers, bourbon, or baseball. We encourage you to walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now McGowan a strike away from finishing this one off. Everybody on their feet at Nationals Park. Runners first and second. Two out. The kick in the 0-2 pitch is a check swing. He went too far. Gomes puts the tag on it with a ball in the dirt. And a curly W's in the books. And for the first time this year, with a curly W in the books, the Nationals have won two in a row. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 18th, 2021. Another win for the Nats on Saturday afternoon. They improved to 5-7, and seven, a 6-2 victory over the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi of the Al Galdi Podcast, not joined on this installment of Nats Chat by my tag team partner, Mark Zuckerman, Nats Insider for MassInSports.com. Mark with the day off, watching his son Brian in a Little League game, so we hope that's going well. But I'm very pleased to be joined by the man behind this podcast, the man with whom many of you are familiar, given his days as one of the hosts of the Nats Talk podcast, Tim Shovers is joining me. Hello, Tim. Hey, Al. Sometimes you need a lefty out of the bullpen, and I'm happy to eat up some innings here today on this postgame pod. So you are the loogie, the lefty one guy specialist we're going to. You're like the Jesse Orozco, the Arthur Rhodes of what we're trying to do here. Exactly. Good to have you on board, man. I mean, you love baseball. This podcast is your idea, so you know what's up with this. And uh, it's nice that we have another Nationals win to get into. A 6-2 victory. You get a second straight solid start from Eric Fetty. Nats pitchers as a whole really shut down the Diamondbacks. I mean, Arizona scores just the two runs, totals just six hits, three walks, strikes out 13 times. Nats themselves with 15 hits to go with a walk. Yes, some sloppy defense, especially toward the end, but you know, by and large, the kind of game that you want to see from the Nats, another win and a chance to win three out of four, depending on what happens on Sunday. Al, it's very clear having watched Arizona for three straight days. The first two innings of the series aside, Arizona stinks, right? And you could tell that pretty quickly. And so for Fetty to be dominant pretty early, and I think dominant's the proper word to use for him today. It was clear that this was a big opportunity for the Nets and they couldn't waste it because whenever your fifth pitcher has an edge on the on a lineup like that and as feeble as Arizona, you can't let it slip through your fingers. No, it's true. I mean, we've all watched the Diamondbacks over the first three games of this series, and it is a lineup of no names. I mean, you've got to really be a seam head to know who a lot of these people are. You know, the likes of what John Van Meter and Eduardo Escobar, you know, Paven Smith. I mean, I know some of these guys have local ties. Actually, they seem to have like 10 different guys who went to Virginia on the Diamondbacks. But it's like this is not a projected team to contend you know, this is a team that now with this loss on Saturday is 5-10. and 10. 
on the season. Like if the Nats are who we want them to be, they do win three out of four in this series. And it's nice to see that they are positioned to do so, again, depending on what happens in the big pitching matchup on Sunday, Steven Strasburg versus Madison Bumgarner. More on that in a bit. But you mentioned Derek Fetty. And to me, he is the story more than anything with this game on Saturday. A second consecutive solid start. Fetty, one run in five innings, nine strikeouts. I mean, use the word dominant. That's dominant. Nine strikeouts over five innings. Gives up five hits, but four of them are singles. Did give up the homer. Issues just one walk, 95 pitches, 60 of which were strikes. You know, Tim, I don't know if this is the Fetty we're going to continue to see or not. I mean, it's, it's hard to have a ton of faith in him given how his career has gone so far. But man, he has looked really good over these last two outings. And the strikeouts, he's never been really truly a strikeout pitcher. We're seeing him strike a bunch of guys out over these last two outings. Two strikeouts right away, even though Cole Calhoun really battled in the first inning, the second hitter. Van Meter reached on an air. Andrew Stevenson dropped that fly ball, and Stevenson gets the start. So he should have had a 1-2-3 inning, overcame it, which I was impressed by because we've seen over the years so many fifth starters that once you get into any sort of quicksand, that's the end of that. And so far, you know, you talk about Fetty through three starts. The last two have been good. And the first one against the Braves, I don't want to excuse it. You should never give up six runs in under two innings. But the Braves that day, they were 0-4, and they were ripe to break out. He ran into a buzzsaw back in what was the national second game and the last two games you know he is throwing some good stuff the 95 mile an hour fastball I've liked his heat and his off-speed stuff his first two strikeouts were off of change-ups so I've liked what I've seen so far it's hard to be displeased so the last outing prior to the one on Saturday was at 5-2 Nats win at St. Louis this past Monday night Fetty one run four and two-thirds innings so I mean we're not gonna go nuts over four and two-thirds innings but he gives up just a one run and he has five strikeouts over the four and two-thirds And then on Saturday, he goes out five innings, one run, nine strikeouts. Look, in today's day and age, for a fourth or fifth starter to be giving you one run or less over four and two-thirds, five innings, that's kind of the way the game is now, you know? I mean, some people may hear that and be like, that's pathetic, you know? But that's, (laughs) that's the way the sport is now. And especially with someone like this who, you know, at times it's like you want to close your eyes when he pitches, okay? And you you referenced at start number one for Eric this season, it was not pretty. That 7-6 lost Atlanta in that doubleheader back on uh, April 7th, six runs, five earned in an inning and two-thirds. Like, you just just don't know what you're going to get from Fetty. But man, he's done a really nice job these last two outings. So I give him a ton of credit. And, you know, you take a step back, it's so funny. After Max Scherzer, the Nationals' two most reliable starters so far this season have been Joe Ross And Derek Fetty, just like we all drew it up, right? You know, Joe Ross, I remember being a, just real quick on on him. I remember covering game five of the World Series and thinking, man, the next time he's going to pitch is probably going to be in double A. And we're going to laugh years ago that he started in the World Series. And uh, obviously that didn't turn out to be very true. And Fetty has uh, completely blown me away because after the first start, I was like, okay, this guy's headed down to Fredericksburg. And he has totally reversed that at a very crucial time as we're still waiting on John Lester. Yes. And that's the thing with this. The Nats aren't going to have the season we want them to have if Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin aren't right. No doubt about that. But as they try to get right, or if maybe they're not exactly right for a little while here, and like you said, you're still waiting on Lester, if you can get some good outings from the likes of Ross and Fetty, that's going to go a long way. It can't just be Max Scherzer and, you know, four days on which you pray for rain. Like, you need more than that. And if Ross and Fetty can rise to the occasion here, I mean, it's not something I think most people expected, especially from Fetty. You know, Ross, maybe that's a great development. That, that's kind of a, a sneaky, encouraging development for all of the negative things that people have been able to say about the Nats so far. This might be the single biggest positive so far, what the Nats are getting from Joe Ross and Derek Fetty. I mean, some of the specifics of Fetty's outing on Saturday, a perfect top of the fourth in which he strikes out Nick Ahmed 
for the second out. A scoreless top of the fifth that begins with back-to-back strikeouts of the pinch hitter Andrew Young and Wyatt Matheson. Fetty, top of the second, gives up a first-pitch leadoff single to Paven Smith and records three straight strikeouts. Eduardo Escobar, Nick Ahmed, and Steven Vogt. Like, the strikeout was there. It was such a weapon for Fetty. He's done a really good job. So great to see that from him on Saturday. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that baseball is back. There's nothing like watching a great game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. If you live in Virginia, you have access to the sportsbook. So tomorrow, if you think Aaron Nola and the Phillies have the edge because they're facing John Gant, who the Nats beat this week, then by all means, plunk down some cash. There's a reason. FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like the same game parlay, and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Now the pitch to Gomes is rocking it left down the line. Could be gone. It is going, going, gone. Goodbye. Jan Gomes has his first round tripper of the year right down the left field line. Bang! Zoom goes Gomes on a 1-1 from Weaver. It's the Nationals, one of the Diamondbacks, nothing. Offensively speaking for the Nationals, bunch of bright spots here. Like I said, the Nats had a high hit total for the game. Trey Turner, three for five with three singles and a stolen base. Kyle Schwarber, of course, the hero from Friday night, back at it on Saturday afternoon, three for four with a double and a couple of singles. Starling Castro, maybe he's getting going offensively, two for four with a double, a single, and an RBI. And Jan Gomes, how about Jan Gomes, three for four with a homer, a couple of singles, and two RBI. So kind of up and down the lineup, Tim, you got a lot of production from a lot of different people. Circle on Gomes for a second. That homer he hit in the second, obviously any home run is clutch, but considering the Nats really wasted an opportunity in the top of the first, they had Turner on second base with no outs, hard of the order up, and to not cash in on that, that's a bummer. You get to the bottom half of the order, and for Gomes to hit that homer, and now Fetty has a lead entering the third and pitching well. The Nats were in the driver's seat the whole afternoon after that. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, catching has become such a defensive position. There are so few good hitting catchers now in Major League Baseball. This really is like a dark period for baseball at catcher when it comes to offense from the catcher position. Jan Gomes has actually been a good batter for the Nationals over the last, you know, year or so. It's like he's one of the few catchers who's actually like above league average in terms of his batting. And we certainly saw that on Saturday. Like the guy can hit, you know, it's not just someone who's there to be a receiver and a game caller and that kind of a thing for him to come through offensively like that. You love seeing that. You know, you said Gomes homer. He did. And that's got another homer on Saturday. Ryan Zimmerman. Awesome to see that. The pinch leadoff first pitch homer in the uh, bottom of the eighth inning. So very good work there. I said Trey Turner three for five with three singles. That was key too. Trey's been batting in that number one spot, and that seems to be now the new way for the lineup. You know, this Victor Robles demotion down to number nine, then to number eight, and then today not even starting. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But it looks like for now, Trey is the leadoff man, and he's living up to that billing. Uh, first pitch leadoff single and a stolen base in that bottom of the first, as you referenced. Leadoff single in the bottom of the third. He was down to the count at 1.02 and still was able to work a single there. And then a full count single in that Nationals three-run fourth inning. So good to see that. And, you know, I mentioned Schwarber. Obviously, the homer on Friday was so great, but he comes back on Saturday afternoon, two-out single on a one-two pitch, bottom of the first, full count leadoff single, bottom of the fifth, leadoff full count double in that Nationals one-run seventh. And I did want to mention uh, Starling Castro. Castro had one of the great plate appearances in this game, a nine-pitch plate appearance And that Nationals three-run fourth, he winds up belting a full count double to begin that inning. Just a great job of hitting by Castro. He also ended up having an RBI single in the bottom of the seventh. So I mentioned Robles, Tim, and this is becoming kind of a, you know, we have our swero meter with Zuckerman. I feel like we we should have like a Robles watch every day (laughs) to see kind of where things are with him. We had those back-to-back games in which he was the number nine batter and Davey had the starting pitcher as a number eight batter. I couldn't stand that. Davey finally got off that for the Friday night game against the Diamondbacks. But Robles wasn't back to being the leadoff batter. He's in as the number eight batter for that game. And then on Saturday, Robles doesn't even start. Now, he does play, enters the game as a pinch hitter for Andrew Stevenson. But it is Stevenson who's the starting center fielder. And Stevenson is in the lineup in the game as the number six batter in the game. So I'll hold my fire on this for a moment, but what do you think is happening here with Robles? Am am I reading too much into this or or do you think something's going on here? Is Davey down on Robles to any extent? 
Well, obviously it had my attention when the lineup card came out just like yours, but it was a day game after a night game. They're in a stretch where they're playing 13 straight games. And, you know, you saw Josh Harrison get the day off today, even though he's been lights out so far this week. So the fact that also Robles was inserted in the middle of the game for the back half of the game from a defensive standpoint, presumably, especially after the air by Stevenson, I think that that's a good sign in terms of, of Robles. That really tempered my reaction to it based on where I was pregame. Yeah, I think that makes sense, it's especially what you brought up. Day game after a night game. The Nats have this brutal schedule to begin the season, even though the competition is lessening. Not many off days. You know, I mean, I, you know, they have a bunch of off days to begin the year, but, you know, that's since they started playing games, really haven't had any off days. So I think there's definite validity to that. I do find it really interesting, though, that the whole thing about Robles as a leadoff man, it feels like we're done with that. Like just a handful of games into the season. I mean, Robles had a great exhibition season. You know, you'd like to think there's a a lengthier leash than just, you know, a few games to see if a guy can thrive as your leadoff batter. And that Robles now is buried toward the bottom of the lineup at any time he plays. I mean, they had him batting in the eighth spot on Friday night behind Alex Avila. You know, Gomes was not the starting catcher on Friday night. Avila was. Avila, for those who haven't been paying attention, he has not been a good hitter in recent seasons. And he's obviously a veteran. So it's not like, well, he hasn't been very good, but maybe he's like about to blossom. Like there ain't no more blossoming with Alex Avila. Like he's a defensive backup catcher now. And then you bat him ahead of Robles on Friday night. So I don't know. I mean, I think they're disappointed in how he's played. I'm assuming Robles will start Sunday, but I'm anticipating he'll probably be what in that number eight spot once again in the lineup. That seems to be where they're putting him right now. Yeah, I think you're right. And to the point of the lineup, I like Turner in the leadoff spot, and I hope he stays there. He's a five-tool player who not only gives you power in the leadoff spot, and we've seen how important that is for Atlanta with Brown Acuna Jr., and and we saw in the first inning where he gets you a single, and then he can steal second in the blink of an eye. So to me, I'm fine with Robles hitting low in the order. I think that that's even the best move, even if Robles was coming out of the gate hot this year. Yeah, no, Trey Turner as a leadoff batter is fine. Juan Soto as a number two batter, I think is great. I just question, like, if you really do believe in Victor Robles, the hitter, why do you give him just a few games in that number one spot? Show a little bit of faith before you pull the plug on something like that. And for darn sure, don't have him batting behind Alex Avila. Like, I just, I didn't understand that. But you know what? Robles does have to earn it, too. He did have a hit later in the game on Saturday, but he, at some point, he does have to perform offensively. So we'll see. But I, I think that's become a really interesting storyline with the Nationals offensively. Robles kills it in spring training, starts off the year as a number one batter, does some good things. I mean, he had that game where he had that leadoff triple, you know, and scored a run early. But since then, it just seems like, It's not gone in a very positive direction for him. Okay, so the Nats defense. We've talked about that a lot here on the Nats Chat Podcast in recent days. There was an excellent defensive play on Saturday. Starling Castro as a third baseman in a shift. Okay, so for all you anti-shifters out there, including F.P. Santangelo, who cannot help himself on Masson from taking shots at the shift. I hear you, F.P., every time you do that. But anyway, uh, Castro... Excellent tag in the top of the third on Tim LaCastro as he was uh, thrown out trying to steal second base by Jan Gomes. Gomes made one of these one-hop throws. Castro caught it and then did this great, like, snap tag on LaCastro. Snapped the glove down beautifully onto LaCastro's helmet for the out. And then LaCastro on the slide suffering a nasty dislocated pinky. Ended up having to leave the game. But the Castro on LaCastro crime That was something else. And that pinky, that was a gruesome sight. 
Yeah, it was. Great throw, great play all around by the Nats, as you said. I love the tag. And it's the first time ever that Castro has been thrown out. He's a rookie this year. He had been perfect so far in the year. So that was a significant caught stealing by Gomes and Castro. Yeah, and that's not necessarily Gomes' strength, throwing out runners trying to steal, but he delivered a very good throw there, good enough anyway, and Castro did an excellent job on the tag. So I want to give the Nats credit for that. Because now we have to criticize the Nats for the defense as the game went on. Andrew Stevenson in center field. And remember, right, Robles known for his defense more so than the offense. Stevenson, the starting center fielder, commits a fielding error with two outs in the top of the first. Just misses catching a fly ball off the bat of Josh Van Meter in deep left center. You know, there was barely any wind in the game. So I I don't know if Stevenson lost the ball in the sun or feared a collision with Kyle Schwarber or maybe both. But that was not pretty, Tim, that drop fly ball by Stevenson early in the game. Nats are so fortunate that Fetty was able to bounce back right away and get out of it. And then the ninth inning was a circus. Uh, You know, fortunately, Turner had the heads up, was wise enough to cover third base and Shore made a nice throw and they got the runner out by a mile. Swing and a fly ball, shallow left. Schwarber coming in, Castro going out, and he can't make the play. Picked up by Schwarber, throw to third to Turner, and fortunately for the Nationals, they'll get a force at third. But that easily, easily could have been bases loaded, no outs, and who knows what's going to happen. Now the tying runs up the bat. Kyle McGowan's in the game. Hudson's got to come in. He's pitched two days in a row already. If Schwarber doesn't make that throw, probably are still playing baseball today. Yeah, well, and the game the game took long enough. I mean, if you want an example for why baseball needs to speed up pace of play, this game on Saturday was an example. Three and a half hours for a 6-2 ball game. I mean, that's just no excuse for that. But no doubt, man, the two defensive screw-ups by the Nats in the top of the ninth. I mean, that was amateur hour. Trey Turner first committing a fielding error on a double play ball bobbling a Nick Ahmed grounder to put runners on first and second with nobody out. And then Castro, who's backpedaling, drops a fly ball off the bat of Steven Vogt in shallow left. Kyle Schwarber, who you could argue maybe should have called off Castro. You know, I'd be curious to know, did Castro call off Schwarber or was Castro kind of waiting on Schwarber? You know, we don't know. But Schwarber does do the heads up thing of throwing a Trey Turner, like you said, did a good job of getting to third base. Nats do get the force out. That's a classic case right there. Starling Castro isn't charged with an error. But that is an error. He couldn't catch a fly ball while doing, you know, a pretty routine backpedal into shallow left field. So bad defense there. I mean, it was a problem for the Nats last year. It's been a problem for the Nats in recent years. We've talked about it as projecting to not be good again this season. And while you did get the very good tag from Castro in the game, you also had the Stevenson drop, the Castro drop, the Turner error. Like, it's just, you know, you can't have stuff like that. And if you're playing a team better than Arizona, it may well come back to get you. But the Nats do get the win. They also get another good outing from the bullpen. And, you know, man, this is the kind of thing that you don't want to say too loudly because it can change on a dime. And it is early in the season. So once these relievers really start to accumulate some mileage, you wonder, will the performances continue to be good? But so far, I mean, this Nats bullpen to me has been terrific. And on Saturday afternoon, five Nationals relievers combined to allow one run in four innings on four strikeouts versus one hit, albeit a homer and a couple of walks, but Sam Clay, Kyle Finnegan, Tanner Rainey, Wander Suero, and Kyle McGowan getting the job done. Now, Suero ends up barely pitching. He issues a full count 11-pitch walk to Eduardo Escobar, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. 
to begin the top of the ninth. And then Suero has to leave the game due to injury. I, I said to you before we started taping this, I mean, this was Wander Suero's. Now, he pitched for an eighth time in 12 games. Like, it's all fun and games with Suero, and we do the Suero meter and all that. But he's a human being. I mean, at some point, like, the arm, the body just start to fail you. And I just wonder if whatever Suero suffered, we don't know if it was an oblique, kind of seemed to be, but I know uh, that he's getting an MRI done. But, like, at some point, you have to not use people I don't know about you, Tim, but I kind of felt like going into that ninth inning, you've used Suero a ton. Do you have to use him again in a game like this? I felt the same way. I had no idea who was going to pitch the ninth inning, you know, watching at home on television because Hudson and Hand have pitched two days in a row, right? So there really wasn't a good option for the ninth. So I understand that Davey Martinez was backed into a corner, and that's why I had to use Suero. But Suero has been used way too much. I don't care how rubber your arm is. And then... You know, just one point on the Hudson hand thing. This shows you how crucial the Corbin flop was on Thursday, where he only gets six outs and the bullpen's got to pitch seven innings. And so now in two useless innings on Thursday night, your two best relievers have got to just eat up innings. And and then it affects the Saturday game, you know, two days later. So that was real unfortunate how, how that caught up to them. But I will say I do literally have to take my hat off to Kyle McGowan. I mean, just a fantastic job there. He inherited a tough situation. He got zero help from his defense. That easily could have gone off the rails. And for him to get out of there with a scoreless frame, uh, I think he bought himself some more time on the roster. No doubt. Uh, and we'll get to Wise on the roster in a moment. The two Kyles coming through for the Nats on Saturday. Kyle Finnegan tossing a scoreless seventh inning. It was also good to see Tanner Rainey, who we know has had some hiccups here lately, tossing a perfect eighth inning. The boo-boo from the bullpen. Sam Clay giving up a run top of the six. A two-out full count solo homer by Eduardo Escobar. Clay actually had Escobar down at 1.02. Escobar does come through with the home run, but bullpen, I mean, to me, especially with the extent to which it has been leaned on, you know, and Davies had to go to the pen early and often in way too many games so far this season, especially because of some of the struggles of, you know, Fetty in his first start, Strasburg in his most recent start, Corbin over his last two starts. The bullpen has been used a lot and the bullpen by and large has done really well. I mean, the, the one real negative outing was that Luis Avilan outing and that Strasburg blow up game. But beyond that, I mean, the bullpen to me, you know, it's hard to complain about what has gone down. Now, speaking of Luis Avilan, so we spoke on the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast about Avilan on Friday being put on the 10-day injured list with left elbow inflammation. And the corresponding roster move to that was the Nats recalling Kyle McGowan from the alternate training side in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And Mark brought up the notion of, you know, well, maybe the Nats are just doing this because Avilan's a little fatigued of having been used in a couple of blowouts recently. And, you know, maybe they just want to give him some rest and then they'll activate him as soon as possible. Well, it turns out that's not what is happening here. Davey Martinez revealing prior to Saturday's game, Luis Avilan has a UCL tear. And UCL tear can mean Tommy John surgery. Now, some guys don't undergo the Tommy John and just opt for the rest in the rehab. But that is bad news. You know, I don't want to overstate Luis Avilan, but he is a lefty. He is someone who obviously Davey has felt comfortable using so far. It's not like the Nats are overwhelmed with proven bullpen depth to begin with. Hopefully they have it, but we don't know that they have it. And now it looks like Luis Avilan could be out for a while. Yeah, that, that was real unfortunate. But that's life as kind of the last man in the bullpen, right? You're the guy that's got to do the mop-up duty, and he had to wear it on in St. Louis, and then he had to have that long stretch after Corbin on Thursday. You mentioned the left-hander part, Al. That makes me wonder what role Sam Clay is going to take on. Is he going to be more of a lefty, or is he going to be a sixth-inning pitcher? Because now you kind of have potentially dual roles for him. 
Yeah, and I wonder if maybe the answer is just both. You know, that they just... I think Clay could end up being really good for the Nats. He's he's a classic ground ball pitcher. You know, he's got that Zach Britton thing going on. And I know he gave up the homer to Escobar on Saturday, but I, I think there's a lot to like about Clay. One of the things I do really like about the Nats bullpen is with Clay, with Finnegan, with McGowan, obviously with Rainey, you've got some youth or at least younger guys who you kind of feel like maybe these guys can be a part of a competent bullpen over the next few years. Like instead of a bunch of stopgap veteran measures, it kind of feels like there is some youth and some promise with these Nats relievers. Now, do they all pan out? Who the heck knows, right? Relievers are so fickle, but at least it feels like you got some upside that you're working with in that Nats pen. Better to use a farm system than to use the Oakland Athletics as your farm system. Yeah, which which they've done. Uh, And of course, to get some of those relievers, they've had to trade away people like Jesus Lazardo, who the Nats could sure use right about now, given the, uh, the great prospect that Lazardo ended up blossoming into. We'll see what he ends up being as a major league pitcher. Hey everyone, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. We all get them. Mine usually come in sometime around Sunday night. In order to thwart that, I like to turn on Succession or one of my other favorite TV shows. But if that's not an option, CBD can be an option for you. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD gummies and CBD oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure, and Best Products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where asked for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Well, good to see the Nats get the win on Saturday. Sunday afternoon, 105, game four of this series. It is a juicy pitching matchup. Steven Strasburg versus Madison Bumgarner. Arguably the two best postseason pitchers of this generation. I mean, you can certainly throw someone like, you know, I'm trying to think, like a Justin Verlander maybe into the mix, although Verlander's had some rough postseason outings too. But if you just look at like the last 10 years or so, Bumgarner, Strasburg, you know, John Lester would be in the conversation that I think about in terms of like great postseason pitchers. But these two guys are on the short list for sure. Strasburg, Bumgarner going head to head on Sunday. And I don't think we can overstate him how crucial of a start this is for Strasburg given how bad he was this past Tuesday night, getting shelled in that 14-3 loss at St. Louis. Eight runs, seven earned in four innings. Bullpen had to be used a lot these last few games. Can Strasburg go out there and pitch as he did in his first start of this season? I mean, it's not like Strasburg's been a wreck throughout this year. He was quite good in his first outing. He just was really bad in that outing number two. Yeah, it's a really important start, as you mentioned, for him. First off, he's facing a bad lineup, so he should be able to make some hay. And... Six innings, but really seven should be the goal for Strasburg tomorrow if he gets back on track. The bullpen needs it because they still don't have an off day after this. They turn right around on Monday and host St. Louis for another three games. So Scherzer treated Friday night like an ace, right? He dominated. He pitched seven innings. He left it to the A portion of the bullpen, and the Nats had a shutout victory. Strasburg needs to have a similar type effort against the struggling D-backs on Sunday. 
Yeah. And I think certainly, too, for his health, he could use it. For his confidence, he could use it. Nats, like you said, go from the series against Arizona into a three-game set with St. Louis at Nationals Park Monday through Wednesday. Then finally does come an off day this coming Thursday, April 22nd. Then a three-game series at the Mets. And then another off day on Monday, April 26th. So you got some off days on the horizon here. But for now, you got to kind of put your head down and plow forward and go 1-0 and every day as Davey likes to say. The good news is Saturday from a bullpen standpoint, in addition to the overall performance, you didn't use Brad Hand, you didn't use Daniel Hudson, so your A bullpen, in theory, is available to you on Sunday. But yeah, man, no doubt, you want to see Strasburg go out there, pitch well, pitch like he did in his first start of the season uh, in that game against uh, the Atlanta Braves and uh, put to rest any notion of, you know, he's hurt or there's something off with him because he really was awful in that game at the Cardinals on Tuesday night. But we know that that's not the Strasburg that we're used to seeing. I also would point this out too. It's been kind of a quiet series for Juan Soto so far. Uh, Soto on Saturday, 0 for 4 with an RBI. Soto in the win on Friday night, 0 for 3 with a walk. He did go two for five in game one on Thursday night, but uh, I would be looking for Juan Soto to maybe do some damage on Sunday. And it's been a rough series too for Josh Bell. Josh Bell 0 for four with a couple of strikeouts Friday night, 0 for five with a strikeout on Saturday afternoon. You know, the Cincy guy, remember, did not have a good 2020 with Pittsburgh off having had a monster 2019 with the Pirates. We've seen Kyle Schwarber do well over these last few games. Uh, Would be good to see Josh Bell get going here soon. Al, I have a question for you. Speaking of Josh Bell, and, and yeah, got to highlight that he's hitting 105 so far on his short season. But from a strategic standpoint, I have to ask you this. In the bottom of the eighth, Zimmerman leads off with a pinch hit homer to make it 6-2 in the pitcher spot, you know, number nine. Bell ends the inning in the three spot with the third out. Nats are headed to the ninth. They're up 6-2. to two. Why didn't Zim double switch in for defense and play first base in the ninth inning when Bell's not up for another nine spots? That's a great question. My only thought would be that maybe there was something physical with Zim to where Davey didn't want to put him in the field. But otherwise, I don't think there's any reason to have Bell out there and not Zimmerman, given that Zimmerman is a much better defensive first baseman. That's a great point. The only thing I can think of is maybe Zimmerman, there's something that he's nursing today or something's a little sore. I mean, he did hit the home run, so he couldn't have been in that much pain. But that's the only thing I can think of. That was really confounding to me. And I would have thought, yeah, I know Bell missed the first week of the season, but I thought for sure through 12 games, we would have seen plenty of Zimmerman replacing Bell, uh, you know, be his Dave Stapleton to to Bill Buckner. But that has not happened yet. Yeah. uh, You know, Zimmerman, the only thing I can think of is, is, is the health. That's it. Otherwise, look, it's not like Zimmerman is some elite defensive first baseman. I, I think sometimes it gets overstated. Like, you know, he's Keith Hernandez circa 86. And it's like, I don't think he's that good. But Bell isn't good. Bell is stiff. We've seen him make these awkward stretches at first base. Zimmerman ha- has shown this adeptness at like making scoops and making picks and fielding bad throws over to first base. So there's no doubt he's better than Bell defensively. Like you could say maybe Zimmerman isn't great defensively, but He's better than Bell. Yeah, I don't have a great answer for you on that. Did you have a trivia question for me? Yes, Al, I have trivia for you. All right, it's inspired by Mass and Bumgarner. It's not as lethal as what I did for you and Mark. I learned my lesson. It's five parts, all right? And it's going to circle back to Nat's chat at the end. The last question is not a baseball question, but I'm going to tie it all together. All right, this this does sound brutal, but let's go ahead and hear it. And I just want to say, my one hint to you on these on these questions, this is not lethal, as I said. All right, that's the only hint I'll give you. Question number one, what postseason game did Mass and Bumgarner start against the Nationals? All right, so that would have obviously been the 2014 NLDS Game 3. 
Correct. It was game three, a 3-1 victory in San Francisco. The only win Washington had that series. Bumgarner went 4-1 in October. World Series MVP got the save in game seven. But yeah, that was the one game he lost. And that was the only game the Nash won. They couldn't buy a hit in that series, but they beat Bumgarner. And the two guys who did hit well in that series were the two young guys, Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon. Who was the starting pitcher for the Nats that game? 2014. Doug Fister. Yes, very good, Al. Strasburg started game one. Obviously, every Nats fan knows who started game two and George Zerman and Gio, of course, uh, in his classic role of pitching the, <laughs> the elimination game in the division series in game four. Seven shutout innings. It was his only Nationals postseason appearance, Al. That, to me, is the biggest lament of the whole 2014 Nats is that Fister was so good and they only got him once that whole postseason. Fister is a fascinating Nat to look back on because he was so good in 2014 and then it all fell apart for him in 2015. But it's so true. He was excellent. Like he really pitched at a high level that year. All right. Part three out. Who homered that game for the Nats? It was in the ninth inning and it was not off Bumgarner. Adam LaRoche. You overthought this one, man. Bryce Harper. Oh, there it was. I should have known that. Was that off Strickland? Uh, no, Strickland was game one and game four. I forget who he hit it off of game three, but game three, he hit it almost out of the ballpark. Game four, he hit it into McCovey Cove. All right, you're two for three. Part four, despite giving up a run and allowing the tying run to come to bat, who got the save in game three for the Nats? Drew Storen. There you go. Very good. I tried to help you out there with the wording, you know, to remind you that it wasn't an easy one, two, three inning in October. All right, part five. And I know this is not baseball, but I promise you, listeners, it's going to tie back to Nats chat in the show today. That game was a Monday afternoon. That evening, Washington hosted Monday night football. Who was the opponent? All right, so this is October 2014. Early in Gruden's tenure. 49ers. Sorry, it was Seattle. That's a very famous game for a lot of reasons. But one of them is Brian Arakpo after that game is celebrating how they hung with the champs and people got all upset about that because they're like, why are you celebrating a loss? So that was a very famous Monday night game. One of many Monday night losses for Washington in recent years, but yes. And how that ties back to Nats chat, you and I were working together that evening slash Tuesday morning for the post game show as we always did together. And I was under the weather because of the combination of football and baseball postseason. I was working like a dog. And, you know, Al, you're a professional. You go the full full length of the postgame show, however it lied. But at, I almost asked you at 2.30 in the morning if you could take a dive and do some quick segments because I, I, was, I was feeling under the weather behind the glass. But you powered through, and we signed off at 3.15 a.m. for that postgame show on Tuesday morning. Well, nothing will ever beat the postgame show you and I did preseason 2010, a 10 o'clock start, preseason game number four, Washington at the Arizona Cardinals, and we were on till like four in the morning that night. For preseason game number four, it was brutal, but we've had those late night experiences in radio before, so yes. There we go. So sorry, Nats fans, to step outside baseball for a second, but Al and I, we, we've been working together, knowing each other for a long time, wanted, wanted to pe- take an opportunity for everyone to know that. All right. Well, you did your diabolical best. I was able to get two, so I'll take that and run with that. I'll, I'll, I'm satisfied with that. Three out of five. Yeah, the bloodshed of of time number one with the trivia, I'm still recovering from. So anyway, you tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Mark will be back with us on Monday's installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, hopefully talking about another Nats win. Again, Strasburg, Bumgarner on Sunday afternoon should be a lot of fun. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy 
of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nat Chat Podcast. Zim looking for his first pinch hit. He's 0 for 4 as a pinch hitter. And swings and hits one of the air to deep right. Back goes Calhoun to the warning track on the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes the Z-Man with his second home run of the year and his third career pinch hit home run. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.